Hello and welcome to In Defense Of, a movie podcast. On this episode, we are tackling 2010's The Last Airbender. Sitting on Rotten Tomatoes at a 5% critical rating, a 30% audience rating. Uh, This was distributed by Paramount. Of course, it's a Nickelodeon film. Directed, written, produced by the one and only M. Night Shyamalan. Aaron, how's it going? Good, how are you doing? (laughs) I'm good. Are you ready to talk about this oh, I think bizarre I am. film? Very bizarre. So, we did a bit of an experiment with this film, mm-hmm. um, where you are you've watched the entire cartoon, right? Yeah, yeah, like the whole series. Yes. So you're approaching this. Uh, how would you describe yourself? Would you say that you're a fan of it? Uh, yeah, because I've watched it. I watched it once when uh, it was like airing on TV, and then I just recently watched it again on uh, Netflix. And so, like, I'm quite familiar with the show. Okay. So the experiment we're doing is you're coming in having watched the series multiple times, mm-hmm. and I'm coming into the movie. Knowing literally nothing about it, I've never, I've yeah. never watched any Last Airbender Avatar stuff at all. <laughs> so we're approaching this movie basically um, because it seems, from what I read online, it seems like most of the hate towards this movie is the uh, discrepancies and things they changed uh, yeah. between the movie and the series. Mm-hmm. So I'm coming in blind, looking at it solely as a standalone film. And I think you're coming into it with all the background knowledge of why this is actually yeah, maybe not yeah, a good yeah. movie. <laughs> <laughs> so this uh, budget was about $150 million, and they spent about $130 million on advertising. Mm-hmm. And I think the box office take was just shy of $320 million. So um, I think it broke even, but only just. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, of course, the uh, the critical score. This movie, Aaron, made a lot of people very, very mad. <laughs> yeah, myself included. Yeah, so let's get into it. Can you describe to me, give me like uh-huh. the cliff notes as to what the Avatar series is about. Okay, so do you want like, uh, do you want me to do the movie and then also kind of explain where the cartoon goes as well? Yes, because I kind of okay. want to assume. Okay. Uh, let's let's assume that nobody that's listening to this has ever seen this series. Okay, okay. So uh, the movie follows, uh, and I'm gonna call him Ang, not Ung, like the movie did, because <laughs> I don't know who else that made. Like, it made me rage. Just the <laughs> mi- mispronunciation of like the names from the anime to the movie. Like, I don't understand why they had to do that. Anyway, so, sorry. Sorry, sorry. Uh, just a quick, a quick note there. I read that M. Night Shyamalan wanted to do honor to the uh, the original Asian pronunciation of the names, and that's uh, why he did that. It, yeah, I don't know. Okay, that <laughs> ma- I guess that makes sense, but what, what's, what's stupid is it's like, this show, it's based on the show, right? So it's like, why wouldn't yes. you just do what the show did? Uh, right. Sorry, right. sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, okay, no, no. I'm gonna That's get. Fine. I'm gonna get a little heated here. Just a little warning for everyone. Um, That's good. Let's ride this wave. Okay, Let's okay. see where it goes. <laughs> so, so the movie is. Um, so the Avatar is a being that exists in whatever this world is that has control over the four elements: so uh, air, water, earth, fire. 
and he yeah. is the only one that can control all four elements. Um, while in this world, there's others who can obviously only control like one of them. And yeah. um, so what happens is uh, about a hundred and whatever something years ago, he discovers that he is the uh, he is the avatar, and he freaks out. He runs away, and he like in the show he gets kind of like. Um, like, it's like a whole emotional thing that he goes through because, like, he realized that his life is turned upside down and it's no longer going to be, like, normal anymore. And so that's right. that's why he, like, runs away. And while he runs away, he gets caught in a big storm. And, and like, while he's caught in the big storm, he goes into this thing called the Avatar State, which is, like... They don't really reference in the movie, but that's what like that's what happens to him when he gl- glows um, blue, and so mm. the Avastar state is kind of like a um, self preservation mode slash like OP mode. Uh, and that was and, one of my questions written here was what's the significance of him turning blue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, yeah, <laughs> they, they don't explain that at all in the movie. Okay. Um, so, so that's what happens when he like capsizes or whatever happens in the storm. And then he's like about to drown. And then he kind of goes into the avatar mode and, um, and he like freezes himself or whatever. And then he gets frozen in ice for like a hundred years until, uh, Katara and Soka, her brother, which I guess I should tell you who they are in the movie here. So Soka is played by... Um, Jackson Rathbone, is that it? That's a, yeah, pretty cool name. That's a very cool last name. And, uh, Katara is played by, is it Nicola Peltz? Okay, yeah, sorry. So they, they, uh, they find him in ice and then obviously, uh, once they find him in ice, he, he frees himself and they start going on a journey to, um, a journey to, like, find him and... Well, okay, sorry. So they find him, then the Fire Nation invades their, like, little village in the South Pole, and right. uh, and um, and then Aang realizes what has happened, like, in this hundred years that he's been frozen, and how the Fire Nation has, like, taken control over everything, and has started this, like, huge war, and, and so he feels responsible for it, and so now he starts to, like move forward to try to learn how to bend the uh, other elements. And mm, yeah, so like, yeah. And so, and then he goes on a journey to find teachers to teach him like how to bend the elements. And as he does, he kind of like um, starts an up, not an uprising. Well, in the movie he starts like, that's how they do it is they, they visit other villages and they, and they start an uprising and then, right. um, and then eventually, they make it to the uh, North Pole. It's the North Pole, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> they make it to the North Pole where he like meets someone um, to to do uh, like to teach him how to water bend and all that stuff. And then obviously the Fire Nations come and they attack. And so the first movie is based on the first season of the cartoon. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there is a. Um, so it, it like follows it quite closely. Like that's where it and where the movie ends is like right around where the cartoon ends. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Do you, ha- you what are you, some of your questions that you like that this brought up to you? Well, I 
right out of the gate, there were a couple red flags for me on this film. Yeah. Um, the the very first red flag was why is M Night Shyamalan directing a children's movie? Yeah. Um, second red flag was when it said book one water mm-hmm. right off the top of the film. Mm-hmm. I immediately was as as a, again as a person who's not a fan. Immediately I'm going oh. So is this broken into parts? So there's going to be multiple books throughout the movie? Or yeah. is this... But then, of course, after I watch it, I start researching it, and I realize, mm-hmm. oh, no, this is like a failed trilogy kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the third strike was, like, I knew in my heart that this movie was going to start with narration, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I was still annoyed that it happened. Yeah. Like, f- for me, it was just like the kiss of death right off the top where I was like, oh, no, like, here's the narration here's like the book one and i was thinking okay maybe i'm not prepared to defend this film yet but (laughs) so a couple of the questions i have off the bat that i'll bounce off you and then you can kind of just um yeah throw them at me so as far as ethnicities yeah for a while there it seemed like um I couldn't tell what the ethnicity of anybody was supposed to be. Um, you know, for me, this was an incredible opportunity to be culturally diverse and be uh, organic at the same time. And so, you know, the thing about anime is that it's uh, an art form that includes uh, culturally ambiguous features. That's what they do, big, big eyes and sometimes blue eyes and sometimes big, you know, Indian eyes. And everything is very, you know, interesting, sharp features and this. Um, and it's, it's, it's meant to see yourself in it. That's the art form. And so all cultures see themselves in those faces. Noah Ringer is, is Ang. Mm-hmm. There's no one on the planet that's more like Ang. These are not coincidences. Mm-hmm. That is the art form. Mm-hmm. The art form is multicultural. You see it in their, in their look. And that's how the art form was born. And the, the, the show borrows from, you know, Sanskrit words, avatar, it borrows, it borrows from Hinduism, from Buddhism. It has... Uh, Japanese influences and Thai influences and everything you can imagine. All the cultures mixed in. There's a there's a million ethnicities in the tent table. You, I mean, in the tent where we we're eating lunch, you just see it was like United Nations, and uh, it's one of the things I'm most proud about. Aaron, what is the like? What is the nationality of these people? Is it like a fantasy um, tribe race, or is this based on like actual people? Okay, so in the show, it's not it's not really based on anything. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of just draws from like different cultures. Um, a lot of them being of like the Asian one, because like I think uh, one of the previous forms of the Avatar. Because like every time the Avatar dies, it's like he's reborn, right? And, right. And so in a previous life he was like a woman and he was like a Gaisha like warrior person. And so like that's definitely straight out of Gaisha's Japanese, right? Right. Yeah, and so it's like so it's like takes culture from that um I kind of actually like what they did in the movie because I just wish that because like what they gave they gave like all the um like the firebanding nation like they were all indian and mm-hmm. and so like i thought that was like really cool obviously obviously not the like background characters or whatever yeah but um sorry that yeah, this... that that was where they messed it up because they like brought these characters in but then like the background characters were like of a different like nationality you know this is what like really confused me about this film is I didn't know how everyone sort of related to each other because everyone seemed like they were in a tribe, yeah, so to speak, or like a nation of peoples, yeah. But 
that it was very diverse and almost to a point where, like, yeah, it kind of confused me, like, a lot. Mm -hmm. So I think what (laughs) he was trying to do was, like, make these, um, like, these different tribes a certain race, but you obviously can't have, like, that, like, all the extras be that race as well. And so, or, like, you can't, you know, and so it just it just made it weird and confusing rather than like cool, <laughs> if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it was very disorienting for me. Not that I needed everyone to be specific races, but in my head, whenever whenever I'm thinking fantasy, I'm thinking like, okay, there's this group is the elves, this group is mm-hmm. the hobbits, or everyone kind of fits a certain you know yeah. demographic, so to speak. But in this movie, it was very disorienting right off the top. Yeah. So. Okay, that was kind of my first question. Um, I wish that they made the Firebenders German. Yeah, hey. Well, what are they in the cartoon? Like, they, are they a specifically different race? No, everyone has like uh, everyone has like an Oriental kind of background, kind of like the like they look like they're some form of Asian, but in the cartoon, they're fairly like I don't know. It's fairly loosely drawn, where it's like left to interpretation. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. That's very interesting to me. See, because I wonder how you would, like, uh, if you are making a movie of this, I wonder what is the best approach to Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what I mean is, like, I like what he tried to do, but he didn't, like, 100% commit, which threw Mm -hmm. it off. And some of the extras look super doofy, like, especially the uh, the water, Mm -hmm. the water nation. There's some extras, man. They just look like they look like accountants or something. Like there's <laughs> there's some some pretty doofy looking extras in the background. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that they do like, not look like warriors. <laughs> <laughs> I think that definitely took you out of the movie, which was like a bad thing. So are all the uh, like are all the peoples of these nations? Are they more or less all warrior style tribes, or are they just kind of everyday folk who? just happen to be able to control elements no okay so there is people who can control the elements um and then there are people who have no fire bending ability or or sorry um bending ability yeah yeah um soka who is the brother he is like oh he was like one of the most disappointing characters in this entire movie because in the show he has like an awesome um like character change and everything because he grows up as like the way that it happens in the story and like you hear him reference his dad in the movie right and so what happens is like the fire nation starts like a war the all the men in the southern tribe like leave the village to go fight against the fire nation and soka is like the only like he's like the oldest male that's that was left there um And so he feels responsible for, like, taking care of the village and, like, taking care of um, Katara and, like, all this stuff, right? But in the movie, he's just, like, I don't know, just kind of, like, brooding the whole entire time. And, And, yeah, like, he has, like, an awesome character build where he, like, overcomes all this stuff. He, like... He's skeptical about, uh, like, water bending and all the stuff, and he eventually, like, accepts it all and, like, turns into, like, an awesome warrior himself. 
and, yeah. and goes through like all this major character development and also provides like a comedic relief in the show and they com- oh, wow. they completely butchered his character in the show and he just yeah is like brooding the whole entire time and i don't know mm, it was, it was I see. he he was one of my favorite characters in the cartoon and so and so i was like very uh, very disappointed to see the way that he was portrayed in it Actually, they portrayed every character pretty badly in this. Well, this is interesting because, like, none of what you just said uh, translated on screen for me. No. I wouldn't have picked up any of that. No, and that's there, why there there's so much hate. <laughs> there wasn't even, like, uh, hints of that, you know, uh, from an outsider point of view. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay, we're going to, for this next question, we're going to jump way ahead in the film. Okay. But again, I have a suspicion about this. Maybe I'm right. Let's see. Um, who or what is that dragon spirit that he talks to? Oh. And is that in the cartoon? <laughs> yeah, okay. So so that is different too. In the cartoon, um, so he is the avatar. And he the way that they describe the avatar is like, not only does he have control of those four elements, um, but he also is the bridge between the spirit world and like the earthly world. And so he is able to go into like the spirit realm and communicate with like different spirits. Um, right. And when he is in the spirit realm, he can also uh, talk to his um, his his like uh, previous in you know the previous avatars, right? And oh, cool. The pre the one previous avatar before him was a firebender. And he had a dragon that he rode and the dragon originally contacts like Aang and tells him to come to like this, this place to get into contact with like the previous avatar before him because it's going to be a guide, right? Like he's going to be the guide, guide and explain a bunch of stuff to him. In the movie, uh, okay. in the movie, they cut all of that out, and it was just the dragon that he was talking to because, like, I assume that obviously, the like you you just can't translate everything over, you know, because the movie right. the movie would have been like seven hours long or something like that. Right. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. I and think, I have a thought. I yeah. have a thought about that that we'll get to after after the okay. questions. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> because I I it might not sound like we're going anywhere with this, but I do have uh, some pretty some pretty solid thoughts about how to defend this and what I did appreciate about it. So okay. Um, I don't want people to mistake these questions as uh, it's more for my education because yeah. like if you you and I didn't talk bef- about this before recording it. This is all very you know. <laughs> yeah. This is all very organic here, but um. Okay, my next question, and again, if you listener, if you're very versed in the the Avatar: Last Airbender universe, and you're pulling your hair out right now, uh, that that's okay. Just bear with me here. We're gonna get there. <laughs> okay, yeah. question. Um, it seems to me, again, jumping way ahead in the film, but I'm gonna back. I'm kind of all over the place here in my notes, but mm-hmm. it seems to me that there's a certain point in time where that general makes fire out of nothing. Yeah, and they even comment on it as if it's like a big reveal, like, "Oh, he's he's bending fire out of mm-hmm. nowhere." But it seems like throughout the film, there just conveniently happens to be a little bit of fire everywhere. Yeah, and that the firebenders need existing flames to be able to bend their fire. Like, if I was the water tribe 
and I was defending my city, I would make sure that there wasn't a single torch burning in the entire village. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. So my question to you was, the the bending of the elements, do they need an existing source to be able to bend it, or can they create it? Okay, so this is very interesting, because in the show, um, and this, like this, I'll, I will admit, I don't remember, like, quite correctly but i'm pretty sure that fire fire is they they don't need any fire around them to bend it like they can bend it from like it can come out of their bodies and Uh. yeah yeah and and then but like the weird thing was the weird thing that i found was that firebenders were able to produce fire from their bodies but waterbenders had to like carry water on them Oh. So, like, that's how the show was. That's how the show was. Um, but, like, the movie was... The movie did the same thing with the water things, but they made it so that the firebenders had to have, like, fire around them to, to like, bend it. So each uh, nation, they kind of had slightly different rules? Uh, what do you mean, like, in, in how they bend? Like, yeah, because they mention and, of course, end up killing um the moon spirit which is essentially where the water nation mm-hmm. gets their power from yeah but as a again as a uh as a like <laughs> as someone just kind of driving through this universe i didn't quite understand where the other nations got their power from then yeah they never they never actually like um well you know it's really interesting because in the show they they refer to like animals and spirits and things like that. And so what you see like you see that big um, air bison that Ang Ang rides in the movie. That's called yeah. a that's called a it's a, it's an air bison and basically it can bend air as well. But you don't see any of it in the movie. And so the way that they describe it is that early humans uh, learned how to bend from these specific animals. So um, like earthbenders learned from like badger moles or something like that. Like they were earthbenders and they learned how to do it from the animals. Uh, Fire people like learned from dragons and and uh airbenders learn from like bisons and then i'm the water oh, cool. the water the water one is a little bit like a little bit weird because i have the ocean and the moon spirit and i don't necessarily know if they learn bending from them but like i guess they draw their powers from it yeah as yeah. someone just watching the film i thought that they learned to bend uh, from that fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's which, so, which, which is probably wrong, but I'm saying, you know, from just watching the film. <laughs> that That's what I mean. The, like, my biggest, like, the reason why I think this movie flopped as big a, as much as it did is because there's such, like, you know, the show goes for, what, three seasons and, like, 20-something episodes each season, right? And so right. you get this, like, rich background, character development, all this stuff. And unless you are, like, very versed with the show, like, it's very hard to translate into a movie because it's got so much, um, like, so much background and, and uh, you know, that right. like, to translate that into a movie is, like, very, very hard. Right. Yeah, I hear you. I got okay, I got two more questions, then we're gonna get into specifics about the film here. So um my next question is 
it seems like it takes a lot of effort for them to do what I would consider very simple things.、Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like the, what is it? Is, are they called the Earth Nation? Yeah. It seems like there was like, it took six guys doing some dance moves in order to throw like one rock. Yeah. And my question is, is in the cartoon, does it take really that much, that many moves and, and sequences to like do some of these things? Or is it, do they make it more complicated in the movie?、Um, Because if I was like the bad guys, I would just like shoot an arrow into the chest of every one of those guys before they would finish <laughs> their dance moves. Yeah. Yeah, there's no like bow and arrows in that movie, hey? There doesn't seem to be much conventional weaponry at all. They、no. almost exclusively rely on bending, which is basically, as, again, as the casual observer, it just seems like a dance off.、Mm. <laughs> so They, I was curious if it really takes that much effort to do some of these things in the cartoon. So in the cartoon, I think that they have a little bit of an easier time with bending.、Um, like the whole time that. Katara and Aang are waterbending. Like, Aang picks it up really fast because he's the Avatar, right? And so he, he's like, he's just leagues ahead of everybody. And,、right. and so he picks it up pretty fast. In the movie, he was like struggling with it,、um, right. which didn't make any sense. The, as far as the, as far as like the earthbenders go and stuff, like they do some really cool stuff where they like, They like do their movements together and then they like create things and they like fight together and they're all air like earth bending together and it looks like really cool. In the movie, it didn't translate so well、um, because、yeah. it's exactly what you said. It just looks like they're doing dance moves for like one little rock to like move. Yeah. And, and like, are, are there, do they specifically only use bending for like attack and defense or do they use it to build stuff and like create their worlds and, you know? Like, is there a practical application s to their bending、oh, or is it、okay. more just attack and defense? So, this is, this is very interesting.、Um, because, like, if you noticed when they go to the, to the southern, no, northern water tribe, like, you see everything's made out of ice and, like, has kind of this,、uh, like, Like, it's like a really neat city and everything, and everything's made out of ice. When they go to, when you see the Fire Nation attack, like, they have lots of metal, right? And then、right. when you go to the earth, like their homes and cities are very like made out of stone and things like that. And that's how they're like portrayed in the,、um, in the cartoons as well. So it's like they do use their bendings, bending for that, that sort of stuff. And so, like, because of the Fire Nation is who they are, they're like able to create things out of metal. And, and, and which is like really cool because, like, when they attack, like, they have big metal, like, monstrosity, like, machines. That they、That's、use、cool. to, to like attack, and so、right. each each like bending、uh, element, like the race of people, have their like specific、uh, things that like apply to them because they're the only ones to create that stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. So it, it kind of does. It, they kind of do use it for their like everyday life. Okay. So it's 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 a pretty useful thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. I have one more question. Actually, you know what? I have two questions, but the, one of them is kind of a joke, but I'll leave that one for last.、Um, uh, who is the girl at the end? Because we know we're not getting parts two and three of this particular run of the franchise.、Um, oh, okay. <laughs> so that, they, they do kind of a.、Uh, they do kind of a、uh, I don't know. I don't know what to call it. I guess like a cliffhanger? A yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's literally Cliff Curtis. So it's totally a cliffhanger. Get it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nailed it. 
Okay, Cliff Curtis, our man. He he's the Fire Lord. How do you say his name? Uh, I don't want to say it the way they say. It. What's that? Nakudu. Nakudu. <laughs> yes. Oh, I've been dying to make that uh, joke. <laughs> I love this podcast. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, oh no, no, no. Um, Ozai, Fire Fire Lord Ozai is how they say Ozai. It in the, yeah, in the show. All anyways. Right. So we get a cliffhanger, Cliff Curtis hanger, where uh, this this girl takes off her hood or something, mm-hmm. and everyone's supposed to know who that is, unless you're me or anyone who didn't <laughs> watch. <laughs> so Aaron, who is she? Yeah, okay, so that's Princess Azula, which is um, Prince Zuko's sister, younger sister. Yeah. Um, but she's like a total badass. Okay. Yeah, so she's like she is a fire be- <laughs> like referred to as a firebending prodigy and is just like um like quite strong in the cartoon and uh is more than like very very strong and like kind of maniacal and uh a little bit on like the psycho side as well. And she, and she is she not in the first season of the cartoon? Does she kind of like she kind of comes? That? She comes in literally like almost at the last, and then and then once she comes in, um, it goes it goes into like she starts pursuing them um, more than like Zuko pursues the Avatar. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And my last question before we get into specifics here is: Are you supposed to want to punch Aang in the face? <laughs> Oh man, I just oh, I like I don't like to pick people apart on their appearances. But looking at him, I was just like, he's just got that face. Leave him alone. I was cheering for Prince Zuko the entire time. Yeah. Uh, um, so I was reading apparently that uh, what was his name who played Aang there? I didn't. Think Noah that. Ringer. Yeah, Noah Ringer. So he is an actual martial artist. And apparently won like Texas champion or something like that. Whoa. And, yeah, and so he submitted a uh, he submitted a like video of him doing martial arts with like the blue arrows painted on him. To uh, <laughs> nice. yeah, and that, and that's how they chose him. <laughs> they were like, "Holy shit, this guy can uh, do martial arts and looks like Aang. He should be in this movie." But they didn't teach him. Uh... Did I assume that there was an acting coach on hand, but it so, doesn't seem like so. What was so? What happened had to happen after they chose him is like a month before they began recording, they sent him to film school or no to acting school. Oh boy! Yeah, and so like he he had like a month of acting school, and they pretty much just picked him because uh, because he was a martial artist. This is a I think this is a perfect lead in um, to the rest of our discussion. Because yeah. the the trend that I saw was that the production for this film was so rushed. Mm-hmm. It was a total hack and slash job. Aaron, I found out that 30 minutes, over 30 minutes were cut yeah. from this final film. Yeah, it's, you know, we always talk about this and it just seems, when are studios going to learn that you can't rush a film and you just got to let like a guy do his thing because... These just end. This just comes in like bites them in the like bites them back, right? Because mm-hmm. they wanted to do what was it? They wanted to release it in three D, so they had to rush a bunch of things um, so that it could be ready for like the summer blockbuster and uh, ready for like three D. And so like yeah. they had to cut things out and they had to um, move things around and make the movie like not as good as it could have been. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I'm of the opinion that the special effects in this film are some of the worst I've seen um maybe ever. I was oh, pretty sure. You thought shocked. they were that bad? There okay, it was inconsistent because there were some shots I really enjoyed. Yeah. I love the Fire Nation's ships on the water. Those mm-hmm. looked superb in my opinion. Again, but I'm not comparing them to the show, so um but based solely on what I saw, like there were some effects that were great, but I thought all of the bending effects looked pretty terrible. Mm. They the way that they did it was very similar to how the show the show does it as well. So it's like the show obviously with it being a cartoon, you're going to have like more like a 100 times more like leeway to do whatever you want, right? And like you can stretch your imagination. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, putting it into live action, like I thought that the with what they were given like I don't know how they could have made it any better. Yeah, from from the research I did, it seemed like M Night Shyamalan made this movie for his daughter. Yeah. She was really obsessed with the cartoon and I think wanted to dress as one of the characters for Halloween. How did you first learn about Avatar the Last Airbender? Um actually from my daughter who's 7 and she was obsessed with this show, but I really didn't pay attention to what she was, you know, obsessed about. She's like, oh, "This is this show after." I'm like, "Okay, honey, we're going to go out and it's on again. It's on again. And I was like, okay, okay, I'll put it on for you. And then for Halloween, she wanted to be Katara. And I'm like, she, you know, that's what she, she wanted to be. And I was like, what is this Katara thing? And so she told me all about it. We had to, like, look it up and all this stuff. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he approached Nickelodeon films. I can't imagine it being the other way around. Mm-hmm. And said, hey, I think uh, I would like to do uh, the Last Airbender series. And they said, cool. Um the, again, this is Nickelodeon's most expensive film by far. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even know that Nickelodeon had the kind of budget to make this film, but they yeah. did. It's all those um, Rugrats reruns. Yeah, right? <laughs> and to M. Night Shyamalan's credit... Okay, because here, here's my thought on this. Here, Here's where I'm coming from in terms of a defense. Mm-hmm. It would seem to me that the only reason that people were going to like this film... And as if it was exactly, and I do mean exactly like the cartoon. Mm. So I started thinking of it as this. I started thinking, well, you have the cartoon. Mm -hmm. Like you have that version of this story. Yeah. So why are you so mad about this movie having Mm. slight differences? Because I was thinking, well, it's the same. It's it's my same thoughts about video game adaptations of movies Mm -hmm. where I'm like, you know, like, I think the Uncharted movie just lost, like, its fifth or sixth director, you yeah, know? Yeah, And I was like, well, why do you need an Uncharted movie? Those games are so stinking cinematic, it's already a movie, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So, I was looking at Last Airbender thinking, people are really mad at this film because it craps all over the source material. Mm-hmm. But the source material is so stinking good that it's... I, I'm. <laughs> it's almost like why why be upset about a reinterpretation if all you wanted to do was see the cartoon but with real people playing them instead of the animated images. Yeah. It's a fascinating discussion because it kind of took me down a few different rabbit holes in terms of like uh adaptations in general, right? Mm-hmm. We like to paint this expectation on adaptations that it has to be absolutely true to the source material. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I'll give you some examples of adaptations that were awesome. For instance, uh, Jurassic Park, yeah. um, adapted from Michael Crichton's uh, novel. 
、um, in Jurassic Park. Um, there's many, many differences. There's this whole scene with the T Rex, you know,、uh, chasing them down a river. There,、uh, John Hammond dies in that book. Spoilers. <laughs>、um, you know, a, a lot of different people die and live, and, and there's so many differences.、Um, and yet, that movie, that franchise is still going to this day, and it's a, a, a beloved movie. Yeah.、Um, take the X Men, okay?、Mm-hmm. Um, the X Men cartoon. Uh, super beloved show. You and I both love loved that show like crazy and、yeah. grew up watching it. Yeah. That, that first X Men movie. Now, Wolverine, played by Hugh Jackman, was like, he still has the record as the longest running、um, like, superhero performance in movies, right? Yeah. Yet he never once puts on the iconic costume.、Mm-hmm. So we have an adaptation. And yet, we have a completely, complete reinterpretation of it. Like,、mm-hmm. in my mind, Wolverine's like five foot three and he's like, you know, just this rage monster.、Yeah. But on screen, Hugh Jackman's like, what, six one, six two? You know, like、mm-hmm. there's, he is night and day different than what Wolverine is in the comics and in the cartoon. Yeah, he's like the American version. Yeah. Tall, so, dark, and handsome. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. I was trying to put my finger on、yeah. what sets apart adaptations that piss people off from adaptations that make people happy. Okay. And I can't figure it out. I can't find the formula.、Mm. I was wondering if it was plot points, and I don't think it's plot points. Um, because I started running that through the, 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 the metric in my head and it didn't make sense. I thought, well, maybe it's appearances. And I was like, well, no, I don't think appearances matters either. And so, Aaron, do you have any thoughts about this? Yes, I have a ton of thoughts about this. And I actually I feel like this might lead into how, like, okay, so with X Men, they have Hugh Jackman who comes in and plays Wolverine. Obviously, not at all how Wolverine is portrayed in the comics or the show or anything like that, right? Right. And, but what, when he comes in, he does that character justice, right? Like he takes it and he turns it in, into his own thing and he, like, and, he, and he makes him like an awesome character. Right. Even though it's not quite fitting, fitting to,、um, to like, it's not quite true to the show or to the comic books. In、right. Avatar The Last Airbender, There, like I was saying about Soka, like he has an absolute, like, awesome、uh, character development.、Um, same、mm-hmm. with Katara. Like, one of the huge things, like, it's even, it's even, like, you can read about it where M. Night Shyamalan is, like, saying his daughter was just hugely inspired by、um, Katara because she's, like, a strong woman. And, and, like, she's portrayed like that in the show where she's just, she's like, she's referred to as like the mother of the group, but at the same time has like strong ideals, cares about people, and is like compassion. And like, she's, she's just like a, like a very good character and has like a very good character build and everything. In, did you pick up any of that in the movie?、Uh, I'm going to have to say no. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. And same, and same, with,、uh, same with Aang. Is he, was a,、um, he was like, you know, he was a ch- he's essentially a child. And、right. he got like past this huge thing to him. And of course, he's going to freak out and he's going to panic and he's going to do things. But then he like realizes that no, he has to, he has to like,、um, 
you know, uh, accept his destiny and become the Avatar and, like, fight the Fire Nation. And so there's, like, I think he's supposed to be 12 years old in the show or in the movie as well. And here's this 12-year-old kid who is now, like, starting a uprising and doing all this stuff. And, and like, like just major character development, like, realizing who he is and stuff. And, like, again, does that translate in the movie at all? Mm, no like no and and that's and that's the problem and that's where this movie fell short is because like like i said there was just so much rich background and history and stuff about like characters and like um Mm. and you know who they are as people and how they got there and this movie i found so odd like did you at i feel like in this movie there was just like maybe five minutes would go without any talking have you did you notice that Yeah, there were a couple times, yeah. Long stretches of, like, no talking and things like that. And it's just, like, you can't can't have that. And a lot of really awkward close-ups during the dialogue. (laughs) Really awkward close-ups. Yeah, and so, so that's, like, that's at least my theory of, like, like, you, if you want to change, change something, Mm -hmm. that's completely fine. But you have to bring it justice. And M. Night Shyamalan did Shyamalan... Am I saying I can never say his last I think, name? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, he just like did not bring justice to these characters, and that's why the movie fell short. Gotcha. So, based on what you just said, I think what I'm thinking is the make or break in adaptation is mm-hmm. characterization. Yes. Right? Yeah. So you can have cosmetic differences. Um, you can have story tweaks. I think because people do understand that in a movie, you have to plot things a little quicker than say a season but what you don't mess with is overall characterizations Mm -hmm. like who that character is at a core at the core of them yeah you can't you can't like mess with that and i don't feel like um wolverine as like he was ever mess like they did they didn't mess up who he was as like a person you know i always think of that scene that scene where um it's which 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 movie is it? Is it Future Past or where? Or which? Oh, anyway, so they go into the bar and they see Logan, and he like gives him the finger and tells him to f off, right? Like that's right. like that's like a Wolverine <laughs> characteristic, and they like hit that. So it's characterization. That's yeah. that's the key. Okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. F- from trying to see, because it's funny because I watched it and I was like, okay, cool. It's kind of just like a you know kind of Mm -hmm. a lower budget it felt low budget to me which is funny because it's not but i was like okay it's just kind of like a low budget kids film that people didn't seem to like Mm -hmm. and then i go on rotten tomatoes and i see that five percent and i'm like whoa okay like people really didn't like this and then i start digging and there seems to be this fandom behind it like this fanaticism that's just like ripping this film apart and and it's not just the fandom like the creators of the actual show apparently hate this movie and pretend yeah. it doesn't exist yeah that's that's pretty bad and, and this movie won the golden raspberry for worst picture of 2010 yeah and so when it came to like finding a way to defend this movie suddenly i was thrown for a loop because i'm like well i don't think how am i supposed to convince like an entire fandom that there's mm-hmm. some redeeming qualities in this film yeah <laughs> what i will defend aaron for sure is the production of this because mm-hmm. M. Night Shyamalan could have done anything he wanted that year. I'm, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but his daughter loves this character, and 
this was very much a passion project from that point of view. Yeah. Like, there was even an interview I read where M. Night Shyamalan, before this movie came out, he claimed that it was the greatest film he'd ever made. Yeah. Like, he was so excited to to release this. Mm-hmm. Now, I have to imagine it from his point of view, because he's the guy who likes to write twists, who likes to subvert expectations, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like the, he's like <laughs> the, the Ryan Johnson of the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I have to imagine, he's sitting there and he's like, okay, I have all the source material. How do I condense this and and mm-hmm. how do I put my own spin on it and yet kind of honor what's come before and how do I condense this down into a two-hour movie? Yeah. So in my mind, he goes about doing that. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, he gets James Newton Howard to do the music. And I love the music. Uh, yeah. The music, in my opinion, defend the music top-notch. Is um, probably the best part. Yeah, James Newton Howard and M. Night Shyamalan have done like they're like film pals. I think they've done almost, what do they've done? Like five, six, seven films together, mm. something like that. Mm-hmm. And he crushes it every time. So yeah. anyway, so he's got the music, he's got the studio backing, he's got a budget enough to do something with this. But then what I think happened is studio interference. Yeah. They moved up the timeline, said, no, we need it done by now. We don't have enough time to finish all these special effects. We're cutting 30 minutes out of the film because we can't afford to get the 3D conversion done in time. So you're going to have to hack and slash and reshoot and get this thing out. Mm-hmm. So when I'm defending this film, um, as a, yeah, again, as just a, kind of a passive observer, I'm defending the production and saying, look, if you had to make, if you had to condense an entire season of a beloved TV show into a two-hour movie, only mm-hmm. to have the studio come along and say, "Nope, thirty minutes have to go," and it's we're releasing it on this date instead of this date, like, mm-hmm. what are you gonna do? You know? Yeah. I mean, we can argue about whether M Night Shyamalan's actually a good director or not, because mm-hmm. um, he's so hit and miss. It's it's oh, unbelievable. Yeah, he's very hit and miss. But. Yeah, Aaron, I think this one, man, just comes down to production. I think, uh, like, from my point of view, obviously with being such a fan of the cartoon, uh, like, there was a few things that I like. I like that the fact that they tried to get an actual martial artist uh, to portray Aang. Um, mm-hmm. Not a fan of the one that they did choose. Uh, <laughs> not especially his face, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> But, like, I like that they tried that because watching the movie, um, like, or in the cartoon, like, Aang, airbenders are supposed to be, like, really nimble and almost, like, parkour-type people uh, doing all these tricks. And I thought, like, he did a pretty good job in that sense um, with, like, the martial arts and, like, the dancing. (laughs) Yeah, there was kind of a... Another thing to defend, besides the music, there was kind of a beauty to the movements. It was very... Mm -hmm. Very zen, very, like, inner strength kind of thing. I, I really like the scene. I don't know if this is in the cartoon, but I really like the scene of him standing at the water's edge by himself when he's trying to learn to bend water. Yeah. And you can kind of see how powerful he is. The water starts to rumble, but he has kind of this inner conflict mm-hmm. where he sort of seizes up and thinks he can't do it. Yeah. Um, I really liked that character building because that was, like, classic hero's journey where you, like, refuse the call, you know? You're yeah. like, I can't do this. Yeah. Um uh, that, yeah, no, no, no. Stuff. Yeah, definitely. Like they did they did a they did a really good job on uh that sort of stuff. Um yeah. and like just the um like even with uh Zuko, 
uh, Dev Patel, like he did, he did a really good job in learning like martial arts and uh, all that stuff and like the fight scenes. Like I thought they did really good, uh, the best that they could do with that stuff. Yeah, Zuko was my favorite part of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what he was supposed to be in the cartoon. I don't know oh, how he's a whiny bitch was. in the cartoon. Yeah, hey. Oh yeah. In the movies, I really liked him. He had this really tortured thing. There's yeah. this. There's that scene in where he's got his hood up and he asks that kid what he knows about the prince. Yeah. And the kid spouts off all this like expository dialogue. Yeah. Um. Which I assume, Aaron, was a total reshoot because they had to lop out the scene of that actually happening. <laughs> yeah. I, but the the look he gets, the tortured expression he gets as he's recounting what his dad did to him and everything, yeah. you know? Yeah. I was it, like, man, that's some dark stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Um, I thought they did good with that because you don't actually see that happening and it's kind of like a memory recall in the cartoon. So it's like, rough. yeah. And so there was some things that he actually did that were really good. And because like, we know that a movie can never be like a direct translation of the cartoon. And so no. I, I really thought that the way that he tried to portray the story and how he had to try to like condense it, um, it wasn't that bad because what happens in the car- cartoon is like I said, they go to like, try to learn, learn how to do all these, uh, like, try to get Aang teachers to teach him how to bend the elements. And, right. and and as they're doing that, they're stopping at villages and they're like liberating people and they're helping people. But in the movie, they're like, let's start an uprising. And they like, they and that's how they go about starting the uprising is they actually say it. And so I don't yeah. think that that was such a bad way if you're running into time constraints and whatnot. Like I actually didn't mind that. Yeah, um, I agree with you. Like I said, I think that if they would have found a better way to like uh, push the characteristics of each character and make the characteristics and the essence of the characters more similar to the cartoon, then I think this movie would have been like a way more, way more successful. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and like the like Zuko, <laughs> Zuko is like really like probably one of the best characters because like he's just torn up inside. In all through the cartoon, he's like mm-hmm. torn up, and he only like like realizes um, like deals with all his like issues at the very last season. Yeah, it was cool because he he reminded me a lot of like an Anakin Skywalker kind of archetype, mm-hmm. and I was I was totally into it. But it's frustrating because I liked his character better than Aang. So yeah. whenever Aang kind of got the best of him, I was always kind of frustrated because <laughs> mm-hmm. I just didn't like Aang at all. <laughs> yeah. Suffice to say, though, Aaron, I I definitely am going to watch the TV show now because yeah, you think so? I feel like this movie is a perfect gateway into the series at large because. Mm-hmm. If you hadn't watched this series yet and you watched this movie, there's so much compelling stuff in here. And then when you see that rating and you see people saying, oh, it's nothing like the cartoon, the cartoon's way better. Mm-hmm. Like if there's even like a 10% thing that you liked about this film, like you would want to watch this, the TV show. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a gateway into yeah. the universe at large. It's almost like All a trailer right. for the series. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point because I, I never thought of it that way because I, obviously I did it the opposite way. Well, because I'm not, like, I'm a pretty pop culture savvy guy and I mm-hmm. never sat down to watch the te- the cartoon. But, I mean, I was I was aware of it, but I knew a lot of people at the time who actually weren't aware of it. Mm-hmm. 
so I thought like the, when this movie was coming out, um, as much as there was a strong fandom behind it, I think it was a lot of people's first time kind of hearing about it. Yeah. And so for them, I want to say, I hope that they watched this and thought, oh, that was kind of like a neat trailer for the series. I'm going to watch the series now. And then they're like, oh, man, this is way better than the movie. <laughs> yeah. The cartoon is is really good. As someone um, who watches, like, a lot of animes and things like that. And, oh, first of all, I have to also state this because, like, this is a huge deal is people always refer to the cartoon as an anime. And right. I was going to ask you about that. It's not an anime. So for it to be an anime, it has to be produced and like made in Japan. And like this cartoon is made gotcha. in a, is like made in an American studio. So it's like not an anime. And gotcha. an, anime fans will rage, will rage at people every time they call Avatar like an anime. It's not an anime. I saw that debate online a lot where people yeah. were like, what makes an anime? And yeah, it was pretty funny. Yeah. Kept coming up. <laughs> Anyways, the cartoon the cartoon is um like I watch a lot of animes and like the thing about animes is you have a lot of like they go like like an anime can go like I'm watching one anime right now that's in 900 episodes. You know, and there's so much rich story and like rich character development and all this stuff that goes on and mm-hmm. In, like, American kind of cartoons, you don't really get that. It's kind of like point A, like, from going from point A to point B. And, like, that's how everything is kind of structured. And you won't see a uh, cartoon go for, like, that many seasons or that many episodes. But Avatar, like, The Last Airbender cartoon has, like, the animated series has, like, is close to an anime um, out of, like, any American kind of cartoon. And, right. and and so like it's it's like a very good very good cartoon and I always recommend people to watch it because it's like yeah it's got like great character development great like backstory and like all this this rich kind of like history in it so I definitely mm-hmm. would recommend watching the cartoon to anyone who's like doesn't mind that sort of stuff. The last thing I want to defend about this film, um, and this one th- this is interesting because. A lot of times this this particular department doesn't jump out at me, but it definitely did in this film, um, is the costume design. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't know how it stacks up to the cartoon, but I thought the costume design in this film was fantastic. And I thought it looked so, so good. And I looked it up. The, um, the costume designer for this film was a lady by the name of Judiana Makovsky. And Judiana Makovsky is, turns out, um, if you don't know any much about costume design, she's an absolute legend. Mm-hmm. Um, she did the costume design for Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, which essentially set the costume design for like the next seven films, her work. She did The Hunger Games. Mm-hmm. She did Avengers Endgame and Infinity War. Oh, wow. And Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Civil War, Goosebumps. Um, Winter Soldier, Holy like uh, she even did X three, The Last Stand. Yeah. So as far as costume, and 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 again, she has my gosh, she has like forty five costume designer credits. But what I'm trying to say is, um, if you are interested at all in costume design in film or just in general, uh, The Last Airbender has some pretty cool costumes, mm-hmm. and it's definitely worth checking out her work because, yeah, man, she. I won't say it's her best work now that I know what some of the other stuff is that she's done, 
Um, but it is pretty terrific, and she's definitely a total unit. Like between her and James Newton Howard, there's some serious firepower in the production. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought the costumes were 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 quite good. Like uh, obviously they're not exactly the same as what you would get on the cartoon, but she mm-hmm. she did justice to them. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Like uh, because you have the challenge in this movie, I think, is the this having the separation between the different nations, but then kind of having like the variations in between them and kind of deciding how those costumes are built, what kind of materials they're made out of. There's so much that goes into that that I found really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I think she did a pretty good job. Yeah. So Aaron, um, oh yeah, also random fact, this film was mostly shot in Philadelphia. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. And by Philadelphia, we're probably talking like a warehouse with a green screen in it. But yeah. You know, <laughs> but, I, I didn't hate, I didn't hate the like cinema photography that went on in this movie i thought it was like i thought it was decent there was some pretty cool shots i like when you kind of finally see uh ang do his uh near the end there his 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 little like kung fu sequence that was pretty dope yeah it does some like zoom zoom slow-mo stuff yeah i was like okay i I, this kid's kind of cool that was when it kind of had me where i was like okay he's he's definitely got some skills yeah you know he didn't do that bad of a job portraying Aang. Like, I think I'm just hating on him. Are we him. being hard on him? Leave him alone! Yeah, I think we are being a little bit hard. But, like, <laughs> like honestly, he didn't... He, like, the way that Aang is in the cartoon, he's very, like, childlike and uh, just likes to, like, laugh and have a good time, basically. Yeah. But... Yeah, totally. It, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not too bad. I would, like... Like I said, the there there is some some positives, and I think that yeah, the studio. This I'm gonna blame the studio on this one. They ruined it. Yeah, I firmly believe that M Night Shyamalan's heart was in the right place on this one. Mm-hmm. I really feel like he just uh, he underestimated the fan base. I, yeah. I I think that I think I don't think he misunderstood the source material. I think he misunderstood the passion behind the source material. Mm. And he thought that he could take liberties and just, you know, put his own mm. fingerprint on it. Yeah. And I think that was his downfall on this one. The, sh- the cartoon is very, like, humorous. Um, and, and it's kind of senile humor, too, where it's just, like, really <laughs> weird. And none of that translated into the movie. And I think that's one of the things that people loved so much about the cartoon as well. And yeah. it, it would, for me, it would have been nice to, to see that. Like there's this, um, there's this guy that like has sells cabbages in, in the uh, cartoon. Told you already, no vegetables on the ferry. One cabbage slug could destroy the entire ecosystem of Ba Sing Se. Security! Ah! <laughs> oh, my God! and it's like he's like an internet meme and everything and like if you talk to anyone who's watched the show they they know him as like the cabbage guy and like (laughs) throughout the series he's always just like somehow in the middle of like a fight sequences and his like cabbage cart gets like ruined and he always yells my cabbages (laughs) and it's like it's like it's like a running gag throughout the show and like i wish there would have just been like one cabbage cart guy in the movie at some point he probably hit the cutting room floor. He probably was in it. Uh. Yeah. Again, there's probably some movie out there with like 
um, all the features and everything in it that just makes more sense. And I would like to see that movie. Yeah. Well, you know what? There is talks that Netflix is um, in the middle of producing a live action series. Yeah, that would be, I hope they would be good. Yeah. So, I mean, you never know. Mm-hmm. You never know. They could they could do it justice. Um, if it's one thing about Netflix is they don't seem to be pressured by anyone but themselves to make their content. So um, if they got the time, they're going to take the time to kind of get this right, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, you know what would be neat? It would be interesting if M. Night Shyamalan graced us with the director's cut. Mm-hmm. You know, even if it's just like placeholder visual effects or something, it would be neat to see like what he actually cut out and if that did save the film or if it truly was just a big steaming pile. Because, yeah. you know, you don't know what was reshot in order to fill in the gaps of what was cut out. And, you know, there, there's all sorts of things that go on when people are making movies. You know, people mm-hmm. just sit down in the theater and they see the finished product and they say, oh, this isn't what it's supposed to be like. Yeah. But there's so many different reasons as to why that could be, you know? And once you kind of look into some of that stuff, it, it really feels like M. Night Shyamalan didn't have to do this. It's not like he wanted to commit, like, career suicide by, <laughs> like, pissing off a bunch of people. Like, you know, he wanted to get this right because it was inspiring his daughter. That's, that's <laughs> um, I mean, if I was a famous director, you know, and I had kids and my kid was obsessed with something... I would for sure be tempted to try to make a movie out of it. Yeah. And yeah. he wouldn't be the first director to have done something like that. No. You know? No. Isn't, uh, didn't like Will Smith make uh, After Earth or whatever uh, yeah. for his son? Like, yeah. Like, oh, that's another steaming pile of crap. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's be, a, co- yeah. <laughs> maybe there's a <laughs> maybe connection there's a, here. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there's a cautionary tale to be found yeah. here. If your kids yeah. like something, uh, don't make a movie oh, about it. Oh my gosh, maybe <laughs> there is, because even Dana Carvey made Master of Disguise for his kids. Oh man, what did we just discover? Uh-oh. I, I need to go lie down. <laughs> <laughs> man, maybe we could do a season of uh, movies that uh, or like producers or directors made uh, for their children. Okay, cautionary tale. If your kid says, Daddy, make me a movie about blank, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Leave it up to the experts. Yeah, yeah. You get you're you're blinded. You're blinded by your your child's like uh, whatever love for that show, and then you won't do it justice. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, I'm sure that there's a ton of stuff here that we didn't get into. Oh yeah, one yeah. of my questions was like the the Earth Nation. They're imprisoned on Earth. On, on a, yeah. like, they, I I thought in my head I was like, well, wait a sec. Can't they just bust out? Like, what are they doing? You know. Anyway, so there's I don't know. I'm sure there's a ton of like minor or big details about the differences that yeah. we didn't cover. Um, but Aaron, was there anything else that jumped out at you in terms of like defending? Uh, no, not really. Like, I think we, we hit it all. Like I, like I said, they did like the fighting sequences pretty, pretty well. And then yeah, I, I like, I didn't mind the, um, special effects and things like, like how else are you going to translate, uh, water bending, fire bending and all that stuff. And like, I, I feel like they did a, they did a decent job of it anyways for that time and what they had. 
Yeah, I felt like the digital transfer for this film was kind of crummy. It felt mm-hmm. it didn't seem super crisp, and maybe that's why the effects kind of look crummy to me. Oh, sorry, one last question before we wrap up, just because I was so curious about this. It seems like Aang kind of beats the Fire Nation by basically just intimidating them, mm-hmm. and then they just they're like, "Oh, that's a big wave. Let's go home." Yeah. Um, is that what happens in the cartoon, or does he uh, actually wipe them out? Not, not really. Uh... Not a, like in that scene, the, it kind of happens that exact way where he just kind of goes into the avatar avatar state and uh, pushes them back, and they like retreat. Mm. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay, I was curious about that because um, that seems to take a lot out of him when he yeah, does that. It's it, so so yeah, it does. Um, so what happens? I think uh, they kill that moon spirit, and then obviously that girl sacrifices her life. Uh, mm-hmm. to become the moon spirit again. And <laughs> then, like, the waterbenders all gain control. And, like, it, in the cartoon, it's known that the Fire Nation has never been able to successfully defeat the uh, Northern Water Tribe because they were, like, just that powerful and that hard to reach. Like, water is obviously an opposing element to fire. And yeah. uh, and so, like, they were always able to hold their own. But they started mm-hmm. losing only because the moon spirit was killed and uh, as soon as it came back, they were, like, able to push the uh, Fire Nation back. And so that's gotcha. ki- that's kind of how it happens. And then, obviously, that coupled with uh, the fact that Aang goes into Avatar State to push them back even further um, results in them essentially winning that battle. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's, uh, here's a cool thing for you, Dan. Uh, mm-hmm. f- the Fire Lord Ozai in the cartoon is voiced by Mark Hamill. What? Really? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So I, I was watching it and I was like, like, I didn't realize it the first time I watched it, but now watching it again, I was like, holy smokes, that's Mark Hamill. And it's like, does he it's look awesome. like Mark Hamill? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> <Oh>. <laughs> if Mark Hamill was like slightly Asian looking and had long hair then and ripped, then yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's really interesting. See, it's funny because now that I've watched this and kind of learned a bit more about the show, I've recognized The Last Airbender's influence on other mediums and other shows I've watched, which is interesting. Mm. Um, when did do you know when The Last Airbender the series actually was released? Two thousand February two thousand five. Yeah. Concluded in July two thousand and eight. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's actually a little more recent than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. I remember being in high school watching this. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, maybe that's interesting then, because I was curious about that. Because I kept thinking at the end about like Neo, how Neo like becomes like a matrix bender. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for explaining this movie to me. Yeah, you're welcome. I feel like if someone was to watch this movie for the first time and they watched it with a friend who was well versed in the series and could like fill in those gaps they would enjoy it a lot more but yeah um, or you know you could they could uh we could always just recommend this episode to people before they watch it yeah just like a compendium while you're trying to sort through everything all right so everybody download the soundtrack because that music is just Mm -hmm. so epic and awesome um if you're interested in costume design the lady behind this movie is responsible for designing some of your favorite costumes on film like straight up um and yeah, I mean, it's like I said, me watching it, I wasn't offended by it because I didn't have a comparison. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, it just seemed like a 
kind of just an, a Nickelodeon film. Like my expectations weren't too high to begin with. Like yeah. the acting's not very good, but there is some good acting. Um, mm-hmm. The special effects aren't very good, but there is some good special effects. And that's kind of, you know, the story is not very good, but there is some good story. So it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know, man. What would you rate this if you had to give it a critical rating? Okay. So as a fan of the series, I, I got to do some uh, cabbage guy some justice here and give it like <laughs> yes. I'm going to give it like 34 cabbages out of uh, 100 cabbages. <laughs> and so that translates to what like 30, 34% is about what my critical rating would be of this movie. Yeah, and that that aligns quite nicely with what the audience <laughs> says. So, you yeah. know what? I I'm not even going to touch it. That's that's probably the most clever thing we could come up with. <laughs> I don't okay. know any deep cuts about this show to be any better than that. So that's yeah. For sure. yeah. yeah. Thirty-four cabbages. Yeah. Well, you know what? High hopes for the <laughs> Netflix version. Yes, very high hopes. You know that Netflix has got to bring it now too, right? With all mm-hmm. these streaming services coming out. So. I th- I think they will. They know. They yeah. know that they gotta tighten things up. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, that is the last Airbender. I mean. Yeah, I, you know, we both had to dig pretty deep on this one, and I mm-hmm. think we found some stuff. I think we did. Um, so yeah, anyway, thanks so much for listening, everybody, and we hope mm-hmm. you're enjoying. Um, we hope you're enjoying the episodes. Um, we want to know what you think of the Last Airbender. Um, feel free to stop by. Um, why don't you swing on by to our subreddit? It's IDO Movie Podcast. Let us know what you thought of today's episode. Are you a fan of The Last Airbender, or is it too far from the source material for you to even mm-hmm. think about? And um, we are on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, you can email us if you want to say hi that way. And, um, yeah, we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye! Oh, my cabbages! <laughs>